0: Welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Alistair Newton, a regular Digest contributor on oil and other energy topics. Alistair is a former career diplomat and political analyst in the City of London, now based in Zambia, where he runs a small business advisory. Alistair, can I begin by asking you to give a quick snapshot of the oil price war, how it began? and where we are now.
1: It began really because OPEC plus at the beginning of this month failed to agree on further cuts in output for which Saudi Arabia in particular was pressing in response to what has been quite a long-running surplus in global supply relative to demand being exacerbated by what was then still the fairly early stages of the coronavirus crisis, albeit that it was actually pretty well developed in China by that time, and oil demand in China had fallen very rapidly as a result. The Russians refused to play ball at an OPEC Plus meeting on the 5th of March, and it appears that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was so incensed by Russia's refusal to go along with Saudi Arabia uh, and the threat from the Russian oil minister for a, of a free for all uh, that he decided to launch what amounts to a preemptive free for all by announcing that Saudi Arabia, with effect from 1 April, would increase its output considerably, possibly by as much as 2 million barrels a day. Uh, and that's resulted in the crash in the price and where we are today.
0: The world, the oil market is glutted. Um, it's, what, one of the biggest gluts we've ever seen. Can you give us an historic context for just how big this glut is?
1: Well, it's certainly the biggest glut in living memory. Uh, there's no question about that. I, I'd struggle to, uh, to, to say more than that at this stage. It, it's clear how glutted the market was simply from the fact that even before we started to worry about coronavirus, the price of Brent crude, the global benchmark, was sliding in any case. We started the year at something just over, uh, just around $70 a barrel, Uh, we saw a very brief and not actually very big spike because of tensions between Iran and the US at the very beginning of the year after the US assassinated the Iranian General Soleimani and then since that point we saw a sell-off to the point where we were actually back down around 60 before coronavirus impact started to kick in. Um, at the time when OPEC Plus was having its discussions, we were somewhere around the fifty-five bucks a barrel uh, mark, and all of that was pretty much a reflection of the balance of supply demand, oversupply, and a sense—a uh, very real sense based on reserves and output, and indeed demand—that although the global economy still looked to be in pretty good shape at that time, we were looking at global economic growth, according to the IMF, of around. for the year, um, that we were going to remain in surplus at least through to mid-year and possibly even longer. The general consensus at that time was that the rate of increase in demand for oil this year was not going to drop off completely, but that it was going to slow significantly, maybe to less than a million barrels additional per day required uh, for the global market as a whole by the end of this year.
0: Some analysts are banking on the China economy rebounding and with that will come a rebound in the oil price. Is that realistic or do you think it's too optimistic?
1: I think we need to break that question down into two parts, uh, Bill. The first is, will we see China's economy rebounding? And secondly, will that rebound actually push the oil price up significantly? And I I underline the word significantly there. It does appear that China now has the coronavirus under control uh, domestically. There's a very low number of new cases being reported and hopefully we will not see a second wave in China. I mean that from the perspective both of human health And the global economy. Now, we're not talking about uh, 2001 here and the aftermath of 9-11. We're not even talking about 2008 and the aftermath of the demise of Lehman Brothers. We're talking about an economy in China today, which is a major constituent in global economic growth, roughly around 20% by some measures. I am personally convinced that the Communist Party of China will do everything it possibly can to effect a V-shaped economic recovery in China... During Q2, even if that means a further fiscal stimulus, despite the amount of debt which the government already has on its books and the fact that by global standards, interest rates in China are comparatively high, though still far from punitive. So I do think we're going to see a pretty rapid economic recovery in China during Q2. Some economists are predicting perhaps 8% growth quarter on quarter, which would be pretty dramatic, frankly. Yes, oil consumption will go up as a result of that in China. But two things to keep in mind. First of all, the Chinese economy is much less energy intensive today than it was even a decade ago. What I mean by energy intensive is it needs far less energy input per unit of GDP output. So demand will not grow, for oil will not grow as fast as it has done in previous recoveries such as in 2001 and 2008. Furthermore of course we also have to consider what's going to happen in the rest of the world and clearly Europe is undergoing a huge slowdown economically at present and one has to be very cautious about prospects for the US going forward despite Donald Trump's clear determination to try to keep the economy on track. It's not clear that we are going to see the U.S. continuing in positive economic growth. Many economists believe we are going to see a technical recession that is two quarters of negative growth, two successive quarters of negative growth in the U.S. from here on if the U.S. is indeed not already in negative growth. It remains to be seen whether even a two trillion dollar stimulus agreed by Congress this week is going to save the U.S. from recession, and therefore a collapse in oil demand there.
0: So uh, we shouldn't anticipate a major rebound in the oil price. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Saudi Aramco and the shares, uh, which were put out uh, in December, have now dropped below their initial offering. Is that a cause for concern for Saudi Aramco and, and Mohammed bin Salman?
1: I don't think it's a cause for concern for Saudi Aramco per se. Let's keep in mind that uh, the initial share offering, which we saw last year, was only a very small proportion of Saudi Aramco's total value. Um, It is a concern clearly for the shareholders, most of whom, as you know, Bill, are actually uh, Saudis. And it is a concern for Mohammed bin Salman in the sense that he has put a lot of his personal weight ...behind establishing uh, his very high valuation of Saudi Aramco and it does reflect on his personal credibility. Having said that, I think chatter about possible threats to Mohammed bin Salman's position are seriously overstated. I think the prince is in a very strong position in Saudi Arabia today. Uh, That is until proven otherwise. And of course, the opaqueness of many, uh, much of Saudi Arabia means that one can never be absolutely certain about these things. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman will, in my view, want to see the Saudi Aramco share valuation going up as soon as he possibly can. Uh, Clearly, the way forward on that would be to trying to find some solution to this price war uh, going on with Russia just now because if the oil price were to recover and it certainly would recover a little at least in the event of a solution being found to the price war uh, then we would I think almost certainly see Saudi Aramco's share price recovering a bit as well.
0: Well that does take me to this uh, a major criticism of Aramco is that regardless of what the company itself says it operates really at the behest of the crown prince Is Mohammed bin Salman playing the right strategy now, taking on the Russians, especially with the COVID-19 situation? Is he doing the smart strategy?
1: Well, at the risk of being accused of outrageous flattery, Bill, I have to say it's very difficult to know what I can add to the excellent newsletter which Arab Digest put out yesterday uh, about the uh, three wars which Mohammed bin Salman has chosen to, to or, or, or is engaged in, perhaps I should say, two of them, wars of choice, the war in Yemen uh, and the price war with Russia. Uh, the third, of course, coronavirus is not a war of choice by any means. That's uh, sadly a, a necessity for many global leaders uh, today. Um, personally, I've always been of the view that it's very unwise to be fighting wars on more than one front at any given time. Uh, So I would say that the price war with Russia is perhaps not the best move in the current circumstances. Now, having said that, we also have to perhaps put this in context. If we go back to 2014, November 2014, and Saudi Arabia's original decision to open the taps. This was clearly done in the hope of squeezing out what was then a growing boom in American domestic oil output, in particular from fracking. One has to assume that President Vladimir Putin, in declining to do a deal with Saudi Arabia at OPEC Plus on the 5th of March, was probably similarly motivated. And there clearly is, with Brent crude at 25 a barrel and West Texas Intermediate, the American benchmark, below even that, there clearly is going to be a negative impact on an already stressed fracking sector in the US. Stressed because of debt. A lot of debt repayments due over the course of the next two years by American frackers and investors who are demanding some return on their investment in the immediate future, having really not realised much by way of returns to date. With prices at their current level, I'm seeing forecasts of a decline in US output of maybe 2 million barrels a day by the end of this year. If the price goes further, the decline could be still bigger. So I guess what MBS has got to assess in his own mind is does he want to join the Russians in trying to squeeze out some uh, US domestic production? Because it is certainly the case that if some of the gloomier uh, forecasts for the oil sector are correct, i.e. that we are going to get to peak demand sometime in the course of the next 10 years as the world looks increasingly to address the threat of climate change and so on. If if we get to that point, does Saudi Arabia really need to think about reverting to the sort of thinking that it was clearly engaged in in 2014? I suspect the answer to that is not. Uh, I suspect that Saudi Arabia will actually be looking to try to bring the price up again, not least because of its own budget issues, rather than to try to inflict further damage on the US uh, fracking sector, which, of course, it singularly failed to do uh, with the actions it took in 2014. If anything, a year later, the fracking sector had emerged in better shape than it was before Saudi Arabia made its move. And, of course, this week... The Saudis are going to come under some significant pressure from the U.S. in particular. Michael Pompeo is taking the message to a G20 meeting. Saudi Arabia, of course, in the chair of G20. America wants to see oil prices pushed higher, uh, partly for the interests of its own industry. Clearly, Donald Trump has been persuaded that oil prices have gone too low, despite the fact that he's always been an advocate of low prices and for obvious reasons, very electorally sensitive in the U.S., uh, but also... I think Michael Pompeo is going to say to Saudi Arabia, prices this low are not good for the global economy. And at a time when we have a huge economic shock, shock in any case, it is your duty as G20 chair to do what you can to keep the global economy in shape. We'll see what comes out of that G20 meeting. But I think that Saudi Arabia may be starting to rethink uh, where it has got to.
0: Let me ask you then about this uh, suggestion that the Saudis and the Americans may form a new cartel. Uh, What do you make of that?
1: I don't think it's going to happen. I seriously don't. Everything I've read about that is that uh, most of the major players in the U.S. oil industry, whose persuasiveness as a lobby is not to be underestimated, even if we were to have a Democrat in the White House in 12 months' time, uh, rather than Donald Trump, Uh, Most of the US oil sector is strongly opposed to that. Um, Now, of course, the world is, is probably going to change quite a lot as a result of coronavirus. I was reading a very interesting column the other day about how, in the UK at least, we're likely to see big government coming back into fashion, despite the fact that we have a conservative government there. Clearly, a $2 trillion intervention in the US is big government readily manifesting itself. And we have maybe governments have more leverage these days. But I seriously don't think we're going to see a new cartel in the oil market involving the US.
0: Let me ask you about OPEC and OPEC pluses. OPEC, which is essentially a Saudi construction, is that basically an empty shell now? Is OPEC a, a busted flush? You know,
1: Writing off OPEC, which many commentators have done in the past, has always been a somewhat perilous occupation, in my view. OPEC is still there. It still accounts for, what, roughly 30% of global oil output. Um, It's not a negligible force, uh, even today. Uh, It can't fine-tune the oil price, perhaps, in the way that it used to be able to 20, 30 years ago, because there are so many other producers outside of the OPEC cartel today, outside even of the OPEC Plus group. Uh, But it still remains a significant pricing force. I think it's still a useful forum for its members to discuss policy. Uh, Of course, its members do cheat on quotas. We all know that. But by and large, actually, I have to say that I think OPEC as 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 an entity has been much more coherent in its approach to output and pricing for the last five or six years at least. So I wouldn't personally write it off. I I certainly think that there is a lot to be said for trying to re-establish and retain coherence in an OPEC plus group uh, from the perspective of those who support the cartelization of oil output. Let's see what happens between Saudi Arabia and Russia in the coming weeks and months because especially given Russia's somewhat ambitious aspirations in the Middle East region I do think that at some point Vladimir Putin will be prepared to come back to the table and to talk seriously about further agreements on output with Saudi Arabia and its OPEC allies
0: Some analysts are talking of oil at $10 a barrel $5 a barrel Now now here's the question, Alistair, that you knew was coming put you on the spot here Where do you see the price of oil headed to come to the end of 2020? Where would you think the price of oil would be?
1: You know, about six years ago, I was speaking at a conference in January of the year in question. And one of the participants said to me, what's your forecast for the price of Brent crude at the end of this year? And my response was, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's wrong. Um, And I think that holds even more true in 2020 uh, than it did at that time. Let's just consider this year already. We're not even at the end of Q1. Did anybody three months ago see Brent crude at 25 bucks a barrel, even during the course of the full year 2020, let alone by the 25th of March 2020? The answer to that clearly is no. I think, by and large, the consensus at that time, certainly at uh, investor conferences I was speaking at in Asia in early and mid-January, was that we'd probably see Brent crude somewhere around 60 bucks a barrel at the end of the year. But at that point, although everybody was aware of this new virus, which was in Wuhan, nobody was anticipating the devastating impact of the glo- on the global economy Of coronavirus there is still a great deal we do not know about coronavirus including really how effectively to stop its spread we have some ideas now and clearly we've seen in South Korea Japan to an extent in Italy despite the horrific rate of fatalities there um, perhaps in Spain in Spain and France as well we are seeing some steps which are helping to slow it down but always at significant economic cost and it remains to be seen how quickly first of all we can actually stamp out coronavirus and secondly how quickly the global economy will recover once that has been achieved and it may be many months before we have the answer to those questions. So right now I would say that we can't even remotely begin accurately to forecast what the price of oil is going to be, even by the end of Q2, let alone by the end of Q4. Now, having said that, you've asked me to stick my neck out, and I will do. I think that we will, once the coronavirus situation is under greater control, and once we start to see some semblance of economic recovery, I think we will start to see the oil price going upwards. Which doesn't mean to say that we won't get to 10 bucks a barrel between now and then. But the key here, Bill, as I was intimating earlier, is that even at the price of oil today, we are going to see supply coming off the market quite rapidly. There is a lot of oil production out there which simply cannot survive at these sorts of prices. So we need to look at both sides of the equation. Demand may be going down and may continue to go down for some time to come. And it surely is the case that that will happen. But supply is going to be cut too. And I think by the time we get into the second half of this year, we may well be seeing an upward trend in oil, but a very slow one and probably with quite a low ceiling, maybe around 40 to $50 a barrel. Now, this is not a forecast. It's a series of thinking out loud as to where we might be at the end of the year with an awful lot of ifs and unknowns in there. But I do think that the medium term trend, by which I mean six to nine months from 25, ought to be upwards unless the pandemic turns out to be towards the gloomier end of what is already a pretty gloomy spectrum of uh, forecasts for where we could go from here.
0: Well answered, Alistair. I think you uh, have done as good an answer as anybody could give on that very tricky subject. Thank you so much for this. It's a
1: pleasure, Bill, and uh, good luck to Arab Digest and to all of our readers in the coming very challenging days and weeks ahead.
0: Thank you for listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Alistair Newton a regular contributor to the Digest on energy matters. We welcome your comments. If you're not already a member and you want to join the club, you can find out how by going to arabdigest.org. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.